right, you all sounded good this morning. Welcome. It's good to see you today. Everybody okay? You're not sure? That's okay. All right, maybe you'll be sure by the time we're done. Welcome those of you who are watching us online. It's a blessing to have you join us as well. Boy, we have just had a wonderful week. God is doing much and just a lot to be excited about. In fact, let me just share with you a couple thoughts. If you were with us for a Jim Winkie's homegoing. Uh, that was just such a special time, such a blessing. Thank you, those of you who did uh, come, were able to make it. I know in a in the middle of the week or at the end of the, a weekday like that, it's really challenging to get away from work and the normal pulls on your life. But if uh, for those of you that did come, I know you found it a blessing. Uh, I was telling the early service that probably my highlight was not just. Well, really, there were two highlights. One was just hearing the the life of Jim Winkie. Um, we, most of us here at the church, didn't get to know much about his life uh, until uh, the family started sharing the things that have gone on over the years and how I knew about their dedication to the Lord. But boy, it was just such a blessing. I told Marilyn afterwards, uh, I just so wish I'd have known Jim in those days uh, because he was just quite the man of God and uh, just really exciting to be able to celebrate his home going. And then the second thing for me personally was when we were talking downstairs, she was just looking at all the pictures and things from the slideshow and whatnot. And as we got downstairs, she said, you know, we just had a wonderful life together. And I thought, what a blessing that was. You know, wouldn't you just want to get to the end of your life and be able to look back on it all and just say, boy, what a great ride. What a blessing that was. I hope that that's going to be the case for each of us and that we won't look at all the negative things and the things that were just a problem, but we'll look at the blessings that we've had. And so that was just a real joy. Just to be together with with God's people was just very, very special. So anyway, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. This always comes in January. And uh, just as a reminder to you, we support the Thrive Pregnancy Center here in Charlottesville. I've been doing that for quite a while now as a church. And that's important for you to know because you give regularly your giving And uh, so a portion of that every month goes to that ministry. But the other reason I'm bringing it up is because I I chatted with um, someone there the other day and uh, just wanted to get a little bit of an update and and whatnot. And and one of the things that they said was we still need basic items every day uh, for moms that come through. And so I put a list out there on the back table as you walk through. If you want that list, you can have it. I'll send it to you. But otherwise, just take a look at it. This is an ongoing need as they try to provide for for moms the things that are going to be necessary as they continue on with their pregnancy. And so they want to help them as much as possible. And just, as you can imagine, the basic things, some bottles and diapers and onesies and those kind of things. But they're on the, on the email there. So make sure you take a look at that. I'd love to see us be able to help them, not just financially, but in ways that are very tangible, because those are very, very needful. Uh, just as a matter of business, today is a quarterly business meeting. You can zoom in on that if you like, or you can stick around right after the service. And I will be giving you an update from how the year ended. And then also very excited to uh, announce this for the first time publicly, and that is we're looking for someone to fill a part-time children's ministry director position. It's going to be a paid position part-time. Okay, So if you have of any interest with that, we'd love to talk with you about it. Um, and looking forward to filling that role as soon as we possibly can, as God gives us the person. Uh, you can see Pastor Hamp for the job description, and from there he'll kind of give you the information of, of what will be happening next. And so please pray about this. If, if it's not you, uh, if you don't know anybody, 
uh, please pray. If you do know somebody, then let us know or let them know, and we'll try to keep that moving as much as we can. It's a good thing. It's a good problem to have. We're, we're excited that we have need of someone to step in and help us in the area of ministry. So um, we're looking forward to what God's going to do with that there. Uh, men, if you weren't at the men's gathering, I have some books available still. These are not my books. This is Pat Morley, the Christian man. I gave each one of you who were there at Josh's house that night. We have some more in the back there. If you didn't get one, please make sure that you pick one up. Uh, Pat Morley is a great writer, I think. Um, but as I was mentioning to the early service too, make sure that any time we're using books or referencing books like this, this is not the Word of God. So we don't create theology from it. We don't create our belief system from it. It's just the thoughts of a person using scripture in most cases, even if it's a Wednesday night study or whatever we're doing, just always keep that in mind. Sometimes we have a tendency to think, oh, because somebody wrote a book, then I need to do everything that they're saying. Well, as long as it matches up with what God says, right? So just always keep that in mind. But man, this is a, a great read for you and it's available to you in the back if you want to pick one up. And now those of you online, if you want one, didn't get a chance to get one, just let us know and we'll make sure we get that to you as well. Okay. All right, well, we are back in chapter 7, are going to begin chapter 7 today in the book of Matthew, and so find your place there. I do want to do just a little bit of a review for us because it's been quite a few weeks. We've had the holidays and boy, turkey time, you remember that, and then we had Christmas and we've had a couple of New Year's messages, and so you may have forgotten all about the book of Matthew except for what we've talked about in other messages. And so let me just go back and just re review a couple things here for you. Predominantly, if we were going to give it an underlying theme, I would say that the purpose that the Lord is doing this sermon is to give a comparison and contrast between the heart of the godly person and the heart of the ungodly person. That's really what he's doing. And he's using a lot of subjects that we've covered. So begins in chapter 5, concludes at the end of chapter 7. We'll finish that in the next weeks or so. Uh, but that's where we are. And let me just remind us as we go back now, I'm going to step out of the way and show you a slide here. The folks online should be able to see this too, but I'm going to talk us through this. You'll remember this some time ago, weeks ago, months ago, when we were studying the Beatitudes in chapter 5. Uh, this is the comparison that the Lord begins with between the unrighteous and the righteous. And so if you look on the right side of the screen there, you'll see the character of the child of God. And beginning on the very right, you'll see that there is a label there called poor in spirit. Well, that was the beatitude that the Lord started with, if you remember, that talks simply about that person is the one who sees him or herself as the beggar spiritually. They have nothing to offer to God and they know that they have nothing to offer to God. And that's the key. They know they have nothing to offer to God, and so they come to the Lord poor in spirit. Secondly, mourning over their sin, they're sorrowful, broken over the sinful nature, their condition in sin as they come before God. And as a result of that, they never are proud people, but they live humbly before God and humbly before others, uh, all as a result of this. They hunger and thirst for righteousness, we could say, as the, lineup, as the screen says, starving for God's righteousness, so hungry for what is pure and holy and, and right before the Lord that they have this insatiable desire and appetite for being righteous themselves. They are merciful because they've received mercy and therefore they give mercy. These are people that understand that God has done something so great for them and how could they not in turn be merciful to others 
They are pure in heart, meaning that they are motivated by becoming pure before the Lord. They want to live holy lives, righteous in the sense of living the spiritually judicial life that God would have them to live, but then living pure before him in all ways. And as a result of all these things then, and I don't know that we could necessarily say that they become an orderly kind of thing, but that's kind of how I'm approaching them, is that they become the peacemaker as they are supported and undergirded by these things. Okay? They want to be the one who speaks when there is the need to speak against sin and point out what needs to be pointed out. And we'll see that later as we get into the message today. Now the person on the left here is the self-righteous, the one who is self-sufficient in themselves, are self-sufficient. They have no need of God. They see little to no sin in themselves. Therefore, they're proud. They look at themselves and they're excited about what they see and they've made their way in life. And, and so they have a feeling of, of, of relationship with God and even think about God and perhaps live a life that shows that they are part of God, but really they're all about themselves because they want to make themselves righteous in everything that they do. Very little, if any, mercy, which leads to a false sense of holiness. There's really no purity there spiritually. They're just all about themselves. And these are the people who think more of themselves and concerned about how they look in front of other people. And so just wanted to review that real quickly for us as we think in our minds now what Jesus is doing in this sermon. He wants us to see very, very clearly the differences between the true man of God and the man, of God, the man who is not of him, of God. Now, continuing in his subjects, he gets to this one now we want to look at today, which is the subject of judging or ungodly judging and the consequences to those who judge unrighteously. Now, I know that the past few weeks, and especially as we grow closer into the days ahead, have been very, very challenging for all of us. I mean, I know it has been for me, and I know it has been for you, because we've had conversations about that. Uh, there's so much frustration over things that are happening in our culture and in our world, our country and in our world. It's causing a lot of division. In fact, I was telling the early service this morning that one of the things that greatly concerns me more than anything is that once subjects are settled, like the big ones we're looking at right now and have been a part of right now, is the damage that's done between relationships or within relationships, within homes. My concern really is as I talk to people and, and live life with people and listen to what they're going through, when we look at the days when COVID's gone and elections are gone and those kind of things, Scars that happen in the heart don't easily go away. And, and that becomes a real issue. And we're feeling those things. Families are very divided over what's been happening. And, and all of this, my point simply is in bringing that up, is not to reiterate those things, but to just show us that we become very judgmental in times where we're frustrated, in times where we think we have the answer for things. And that's what really helps us to see what the Lord is, is teaching us today. And so he's going to do just that as we stand now and read chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. But before you do, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessings on us, and then we'll have you stand. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the blessing of being a part of your family. And Lord, thank you that you are a God who points out the areas that need work. 
Thank you that you're not a God who just lets things go. Let's us live passive lives as if everything's all right, but you continually bring us back to focus. And so, Lord, we want nothing less, and so we pray in, in our, our desire to be this broken man or woman in spirit that we come to you for all of our strength and all of our support and all of our hope. And so we ask you once again to open our minds and help us to see this subject today that you want us to see and really examine the depths of our soul so that we may be that holy person before you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, stand with me, and let's begin chapter 7 today, looking at verse 1 through 6. Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces." All right, you may be seated. Very, very stern, but very clear words from the Lord this morning. And so I've titled this message, Consequences of Making Unrighteous Judgments. The Consequences of Making Unrighteous Judgments. So here's number one. The Lord gives it to us right in verse one. Unrighteous judgments make you greater than God. Unrighteous judgments make you greater than God. Look at verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Inherent in this command, I mean, it's just very, very clear that the overwhelming declaration is that man is not the only and final judge over anything. He is not, and specifically we're talking about spiritually here, he is not the only and final judge. Now judge in this context is the idea of being critical. So if you want to write something down to just help you understand, you could change the title of this message to say something like, stop being critical. Stop having a critical spirit. Stop judging others with a critical, condemning, self-righteous attitude. The Lord just simply says, stop doing that if you wanted it to be very simple. And so our Lord knows that we need to hear all this because he knows that in our hearts is bound up this sinful, erroneous belief that we're better than people and we're more capable of people. I mean, that's a fundamental flaw with sin. In just about every area of life, we criticize others or we find some way to make critical comments or thoughts at least to other people. I mean, if you just think about it for a minute, we... And, and you have your own list, I'm sure. I'll just give you mine. And that is, uh, we criticize cooks because we think we can do it better. We can make it taste better. We can, whatever it might be. We criticize teachers because they could have made it more clear, could have done it this way. We criticize bosses because they could have made better decisions with this or that. Uh, we have no problem whatsoever criticizing presidents or congressmen Are you awake? We do that all the time, don't we? We make critical judgments about people all the time. And it doesn't end there. We make criticisms about ministries, 
I was telling the early service again this morning, the people we usually criticize the most are the people that we are the closest in association with. In other words, uh, as I was saying, a golfer will criticize other golfers, typically before he criticizes a baseball player. Uh, pastors criticize other pastors or and critical of each other before they will a doctor. And you understand we just have this way of criticizing each other uh, when we're talking about the same areas of association. And so our natural tendency, just hear this, our natural tendency is to tell others what's wrong with them and their ideas. It is basic to our human nature. We're really, really good at that. And we love telling people why our idea is the best. We love telling people why we just don't understand why they didn't make their decision or do their action the way we would have done it. And often we do that with good intentions, but the problem is we just do it often, not always, but often in rash and hasty ways. In fact, I thought that well, I should back up and say this, is that when I was putting this together, I often ask God to give me some illustrations, and usually I can find those somehow, or I'll listen to somebody, what they're going through, or something that's seemingly relevant to the message. And so uh, just this weekend, I was asking the Lord to give me some illustrations that would be helpful in this, and little did I know that I was going to become the illustration. So just this weekend... Um, it actually started with uh, Brother Jim's funeral. Uh, my wife and I were in the funeral procession, and we were lined up here in the parking lot behind the hearse there, and the other cars were in the front, and we were going the back way over to Holly Memorial Gardens there where Jim's body was laid to rest. And as we made our way to the second roundabout over there just above Starbucks and Coles, if you know where I'm talking about, we were about in the procession now, okay, Flashers going, headlights on. I was 10 feet or so, 15 feet from the back of the hearse. And as we're going around the circle there, a woman comes in from the Bergmar entrance there, the coal side there, and just wiggles her nose right between me and the hearse and rides right there and then eventually goes off in the left lane. I had some thoughts. <laughs> right? I won't say my wife had thoughts because I'm not going to judge that way. But we did have a conversation about that, which led to this just quick little footnote, and that is, if you ever come upon a funeral procession, would you please have some funeral procession etiquette? Which is, you remember the days where people would actually stop on the side of the road when a funeral was coming by? I mean, it's amazing. You go to some of the small towns, and even now they still do this. The other traffic coming the other direction will stop and pull off. It's amazing to let the funerals go by. It doesn't happen much anymore. It used to be years ago when we would do a funeral here that even Albemarle County would help us and stop traffic. And I guess they still do it. Some Green County is still pretty good about that. Um, but it doesn't happen that, much, that, that way much anymore. But anyway, the point is, just as a side note, if you see a funeral procession, don't try to wiggle your way in between everybody, okay? Anyway, just take that for what it's worth. The second thing that happened was yesterday, actually there were several things, and that was back at the same traffic circle, 
something's going on here. I was on my way to Lowe's and I just had to pick up a couple things for a little project that I was working on yesterday. And as I got to the, uh, the traffic circle, I was just about to enter the circle and a lady came in from the Rosewood area here and just went just, just right through it and almost took the bumper off of my truck. I had a few thoughts. You understand? You see where I'm going with this? Okay, so I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So I made my way on over towards Lowe's and I decided I would get some fuel before I did. And so I pulled into the Kroger gas pump there and it was really packed. You know, it's a Saturday afternoon, lots of people out and I was pulling up to the pump and as I got out of the truck, all of that was fine. I hear this, somebody's music was just behind me and it was playing so loudly because evidently they thought we all wanted to enjoy that. And it was wreaking havoc. Well, I'm sorry. It was making its sound throughout the rest of the community there and the whole shopping center. I had some thoughts, okay? Well, then as I was leaving the gas pumps, I was going back to the red light there just where Lowe's and Chick-fil-A and everything is where you shoot across to Lowe's. You know what I'm talking about? Well, there was a family there holding a sign up and they were talking about from their sign, how needful they were. And, and, and I recognize this family. In fact, I personally have helped this family, this family numerous times over. In fact, it goes beyond that. And I started having some thoughts. You understand what I mean? And then I got to Lowe's and I thought, okay, we're done with all of that. And then I just couldn't believe that everybody had to be there on the day that I needed to get something. <laughs> and so I thought it was pretty rude of them. And I didn't understand why I couldn't get to the line a lot quicker. And I had some thoughts. Okay, so I get back in my truck and I'm going, okay, Lord, I got it. I get it. I, I understand we are people who make a lot of judgments about different things. The reality is, though, we don't know what other people are going through, right? We have no idea what's going on in the lives of people. Now, but that's the point. We think we do. And so we are obliging them in a lot of times, in a lot of ways, to help them figure out what's best for their life. The woman who was zipping around the little uh, roundabout there, you know, the reality is maybe she was hurrying to get to the hospital or something. Maybe there was some issue that needed to be cared for. Uh, maybe the homeless people genuinely were in real need. You see, there are lots of times where we just make issues out of something that we have no idea what the situation is. And so the Lord helps us out in times like this, and he uses the religious leaders for his illustration once again. Because, as we have learned, they had the habit of looking down on people and very much looking up on themselves, elevating themselves, making them extremely judgmental. And mostly, if not all, their judgment was based on the fact of their own view of themselves. In other words, they were comparing everybody around them to themselves, which is exactly what judging does. And so the Lord basically says to the crowd watching, you see all those guys? Don't be like that. I mean, that's really what he's saying. They make themselves judges over you, and by doing that, they violate everything that a true follower of God is to be. One of the best illustrations of what Jesus is talking about here comes from another uh, story in Luke chapter 18. This is of the wrong thinking that a person should not, uh, the, the kind of thinking a person should not have. And you'll remember it when you hear it. It's very famous. It's uh, in, beginning in verse 10 of Luke's gospel. Jesus says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now again, the purpose of the parable is pretty clear, I think, and that is to point out the differences between the heart of the sinful leader, the religious leader, by the way, and the heart of the man who was not very well liked. You remember, if you understand the history of Israel in these days, the tax collector were those guys that were kind of like that double agent. They were people who were supposedly making money for for Rome, but really they were making a lot of money through extortion on the side, and so they were hated by the people. They were just the worst of people in the, in the culture. And so, um, but Jesus says this man will be exalted. He'll be lifted up is what the word means. And in, in that example, it's a synonym basically for salvation. This man, even though his life has been this way, has humbled himself to the point where we just saw on the screen the illustration between the unrighteous and the righteous, he's become that righteous man. You say, well, why is he being lifted up? Because no man, and this man, this tax collector, understands that no man can achieve any merit in order to receive the kingdom of God on his own. There's nothing that can be done by a person or by himself. There's no way a person can create any sense of righteousness that's required holiness that's required to enter into the kingdom of heaven. All of that is given as a gift to everyone who confesses their sin from their heart. The person who truly looks into the depths of their soul and turns from it and puts their eternal hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the message of the gospel that Jesus came to give his life to be buried in death, but then to be resurrected unto eternal life so that you and I have the same hope and joy in that, in that because he did that. And it's only the humble in spirit that will confess and can confess such a thing. Those who know that they have nothing to offer to God. Those who know that they have no righteousness of their own. That's why the illustration is so beautiful and so picturesque because it just gives us clear evidence of of a man who had evidently been that individual that people just hated but he came to the place of seeing his sin and was willing to cast himself upon the mercy of the Lord and didn't care what anybody else thought and God says this man will be justified he will be exalted he will receive salvation But the point of the other side is the wicked do just the opposite. They reject God's gift, thinking that there's some way that they can earn their own righteousness and make their own way into the kingdom of God. One commentator said this, he said, All who humble themselves and confess that they can do nothing to save themselves will be exalted to eternal glory. The damned think that they are good. The saved know that they are wicked. The damned believe that the kingdom of God is for those worthy of it. The saved know that the kingdom of God is for those who know that they are unworthy of it. The damned believe that eternal life is earned. The saved know it is a free gift. 
The damned find God's judgment. The saved seek his forgiveness. Quite a contrast. Quite a difference. And so, I think the point that the Lord is making here is that when you judge other people, you really neglect God as the final judge. He is ultimately the supreme and last judge. And when you elevate yourself over him, basically what you've done is you've made yourself God. You have determined something that only God can do. And let's just use the word. The word here would be blasphemy. You have created blasphemy. You've become a blasphemer. And what does that mean? Just to be clear, that means to either speak or do some act of service that is sacrilegious towards God. It's taking the place of God. It's defaming God in some way. And it becomes blasphemy. It being judging others becomes blasphemy because you and I have no ability to be God. That's his job when it comes to judging unrighteousness. In fact, he is the only one who sees everything, right? You and I didn't see everything this week. We don't see everything right now. In fact, we're doing really well to just understand what's going on in front of us. But God sees everything. He knows everything. He knows the depths of the person's heart, that woman that cut me off in the funeral procession. He knows the depths of what was going on in her heart. I don't. I made a judgment about her because I was being God, determining what was going on in her life at the moment. In all the other illustrations that I gave you in confession this morning, only God knows the depths of a person's heart. In fact, 1 Chronicles 28.9, For the Lord searches all hearts, you say all hearts? Yeah. All hearts. And he understands every intent, not of the actions, but of the thoughts. God understands all the hearts of the human race and the intentions of every thought that is in that heart. You and I can't do that. We don't have the ability to do that. As we're sitting here this morning, God is judging the thoughts and the intentions of the hearts of every soul that is on this planet. We don't have the ability to do that. And so when we pass judgment on someone because they don't do something or say something the way we think that they should or because we believe their motives are wrong, we take on God's role. And that's absolutely wrong and that's why it's blasphemy. And it's a very serious thing. In fact, in the Jewish law, blasphemy was punishable by death. Jesus then comes along and says, not only is it punishable by death, but it's punishable by eternal death. Listen to what he says in Matthew 12, 31. I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people. In other words, there are times where God will forgive blasphemy. I'll explain this in just a second. But blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Now, what's he saying there? There are many people who live blasphemous lives but come to the place of seeing who they are like this tax collector. And they give themselves from their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they become followers of his. But what the Lord is saying here is that if you blaspheme the very thing that you know to be true that is the only way you can achieve eternal life, which is through the coming in of the Holy Spirit and the repentance of sin and, and Christ's work on the cross, there is no forgiveness for that because there is nothing else that can be done. 
And so that person who blasphemes that way, the one who says they know, and this was the religious leaders, the people who say they know the truth, but yet they walk in a different pattern and follow a different ruling and, and make themselves judges over others. The Lord is basically, and I'm using this from Matthew 12 to just drive the point home, in that we make ourselves judges over others, and that is in a sense blasphemy because only God can truly judge unrighteousness. And so it's a very serious thing. There is no forgiveness for those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit to the point where they know the truth and walk away. There is no other gateway into the entrance of heaven but through Jesus Christ. Now here's the second thing that Jesus brings out for us as far as unrighteous judgments goes, and that is it brings upon yourself God's judgment. And that should be pretty clear now. Look at verse 2. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. In the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And I think Jesus is really, again, driving the wedge here very clearly and much deeper as he points out to the people that, uh, so that he, they understand the severity of what it means to judge. And so he really wants us to see this. So he says, if you judge other people, not only are you making yourself God, you're taking over his role, but you're going to be judged the same way. God is going to do that. You say, well, what does it mean to be judged in the same way? Well, I don't know the full implication of what that means. It's not elaborated on here, but I can tell you this. Whatever it means, we will be used. It will be used in the same way we use our judgments against us. If we elevate ourselves over others, then somehow God is going to judge us in that same way. Now, if we go back to my own confessions that I was sharing with you a few minutes ago, I would say this, if you think someone should slow down in traffic, in a traffic circle, he's going to remind you how you cut off somebody yourself one day. That's a very simple kind of thing, but I think that's reality. When somebody's playing loud music, he may very well judge you for not being sensitive to others when you play loud music. You get the point? You can put whatever subject you want to put in there. If you're, if you're judging unjustly, God is going to, in turn, according to what Jesus says, judge you the same way that you do your judging. I suppose we could say of the homeless people, maybe he will judge me with the same attitude of heart that I had towards them from his heart. Maybe when you're being selfish at Lowe's, he will judge you for your lack of patience. I don't know. I don't know exactly what the Lord means there, but I think this probably fits. If you judge someone to be unkind or unfair or unreasonable, whatever it might be, God will open your heart one day and show you how much you are the same way. Have you ever heard the phrase that we often don't like in somebody else what we don't like in ourselves? Well, that's really a true statement. And what that really says is, is that we judge others without using the word often. We judge others based off of what we don't like in ourselves. But we're making judgments. Oh, they shouldn't do that. Oh, they shouldn't be like that. Or why'd they say this? Or why'd they do that? You know, we're quick to rattle off things like that. And I think God is going to open our hearts to help us to see how we're the same way. Because what we see in others, we often don't see in ourselves. The good news is to see it in yourself. Then you can repent of it. But if you don't see it in yourself, you're going to judge others, but you're not really knowing that it's really coming out of the depths of your own wicked heart. So if you think you're good enough to call somebody out in some area of life, 
just remember that God is watching your life too. You know, God really does see the quiet times of our lives. That's what we read in the verse there in First Chronicles. He knows our secret actions. He knows our public actions. He knows our thoughts, as we mentioned. He knows where we go and what we do. He knows the deepest parts of our hearts. 1 Samuel 16, For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, which is what we do all the time, right? That's why we're making these judgments. But the Lord looks at the heart. So again, if you think you got your act together, which most people do, just remember there's a judge over you who's going to bring these things to your attention one day. And so this is really a warning. I mean, it's a correction, a wake-up call, if you will, for us to understand and remember that when we think we have the ability to see into somebody else's life so clearly that we can judge them, then we are elevating ourselves to a godlike status, which is dreadfully sinful before the Lord. And so we need to make sure that our lives are truly being lived for him in a way that would be affirming of him as our judge. And so we are careful never to do that. And this is really why Paul said what he did to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 2. It was basically the same thing. Now, what he's doing is he's, he's helping the church to realize you're judging your fellow people in the church. And so he says, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourselves. Same thing Jesus has said. For you who judge practice the same things. You're doing these very same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, that when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? I mean, do you really think that? That's Paul's emphasis here. Do you really believe that you're going to escape God examining your heart and expose it to you? Well, don't, because that's foolish. Be careful. Be careful about what comes out of your heart, your mind, and your mouth. Especially, especially those of you who have a greater knowledge of the truth. This is the emphasis to the Pharisees. You guys know the truth. You're, you are the teachers of Israel. You will be judged far more strictly. And this is why James chapter 3 verse 1 often comes back to haunt anyone and I mean that in a good way, but a judging, a godly, holy way of anyone who teaches the word of the Lord. James very clearly says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, talking to the church, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. In other words, those of us who stand up before a body of believers and proclaim the truth of the word of the Lord need to have our act together because if we teach and preach something that's not according to the word of the Lord, God will judge us far more strictly than he will you, the hearer. Now, God will judge you in his own way as you receive that message and apply it or don't apply it. But God is simply saying, those of you who know better, those of you who have been taught the truth, cannot say that you don't know. God's not going to let that be an excuse. And so again, the bottom line here is, is that God puts none of us as final judge over anyone else. And so we better not give ourselves that right. Or we may find ourselves swinging from the gallows that Haman found himself swinging on. Do you remember the story of Esther? Haman, and I don't have time to go through it all, but Haman was the guy who was elevated by the king to be used of the king. And Mordecai was Esther's um, relative. And Haman had this dislike, this hatred for Mordecai. And that goes way back into history. Uh, most theologians believe, most uh, study uh, 
experts believe. And so this hatred caused Haman to build a gallows that he wanted to put Mordecai on. Well, lo and behold, the Lord uses some scenario, some sequence of events, and Mordecai ends up being elevated to a place of status, but Haman ends up being hanged on the gallows that he made for Mordecai. So the tables turned on himself. And so we got to be careful that what we say and do about another person in judgment may in fact turn around and cause us to sit under our own judgment from the Lord. There's a very telling illustration that should remind us of this ability to judge unrighteously as we think about it. And hopefully this will stick in your mind. It comes from John MacArthur's commentary on this particular section in Matthew. He said... In ancient Persia, a certain corrupt judge who accepted a bribe to render a false verdict was ordered executed by King Cambyses. The judge's skin was then used to cover the judgment seat. Subsequent judges were forced to render their judgments while sitting on that chair as a reminder of the consequences of perverting justice. How about that? Could we supposedly say then that God may use our skin to cover some artifact in order to remind others of what we could be suffering under the judgment through him? I don't know. But it certainly is a very interesting illustration, isn't it? Here's a third consequence. When you judge unrighteously, you blind yourself to what is really in your heart. You blind yourself to what's really in your heart. And number one is going to be hypocrisy. You become a hypocrite. Notice what Jesus says. This is the passage of Scripture that lots of kids have loved and remembered in vacation Bible schools and and Sunday school lessons as they watch the teacher hold a big two-by-four in front of their eye and try to make the illustration of the point where this is where it comes from. Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, talking about like a splinter, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Something, whatever it is, enormously larger than a splinter. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Again, evidently, I mean, it's very clear to see that his point is, how can you see something wrong in somebody else? when you've never taken the time to examine your own heart. That's the point the Lord is making here. And the answer would simply be, you can't. It's impossible to do that. You have no ability to do that. You can't judge somebody else if you don't first remove the problem from your own heart, from your own issues. The problem is, Jesus knows that most people don't do that. Because again, the sinful heart thinks that it's right. We think we're right about everything because we're blinded by our own sin. And so instead of humbling ourselves, we just ignore it because that's what sin does. But by ignoring it, we just blind ourselves even more and deceive ourselves, which is acting like someone we're not. And that's what a hypocrite does. And that's why Jesus is saying this. A hypocrite is that person who thinks they have an advantage over others because they are somebody that they're not. You remember the story of the emperor's new clothes? The emperor is convinced by the 
the tailor that he's going to make the greatest and the most glorious clothes in the kingdom and the emperor buys it. I mean, buys the lie. Probably through money too. I don't remember exactly how the story goes. It's been a while since I read it. But the emperor is convinced that he has the best dress, the best clothing. And so he comes, comes to the day where he's ready to parade himself and all his finest articles in front of the whole kingdom. And the kingdom is shockingly embarrassed because the king has literally nothing on. But he never knew it. He had no idea because he had so deceived himself into thinking he was going to have something that was really not there. And so that's the same thing that happens to us when we deceive ourselves in thinking that we have some ability to do something that we don't have. And so the obvious point is, look at your heart, make sure you've removed whatever's there before you say anything or do anything. And that would mean pray, 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 study the word of the Lord. That's critical. Meditate on what God has said. And I hope that you all do that, that you... Whenever you're reading or whenever you're hearing something, you listen to what God is saying and then you meditate on what God is telling you. That means to just listen, ponder it, go over it in your mind over and over again. Ask the questions, Lord, what do you see in my heart? What is it that I need to adjust? What what do I need to confess? What do I need to be lifted up to you and examined before you? And God says, then, then maybe you'll be able to do something beneficial for somebody else. Not only hypocrisy, though, let me just throw this thought in here, too. The Lord says that when you judge unrighteously, you really deny the whole purpose of the gospel. I mean, the whole purpose of the gospel, beloved, is to help people see their sinfulness, right? The whole purpose of the gospel is to rescue people from their sin. But if a person thinks they have the ability to make judgments on someone else, he's basically ignoring the gospel. He's usurping the gospel, saying, I'll tell you what's wrong with you. When the gospel's purpose is for that, the gospel, Jesus Christ came to the earth to show us we cannot live without him. We have to have him. The gospel tells us we don't see clearly. We don't know these things. We're lost in sin and we need the Savior in our hearts. But because the heart doesn't believe that it is sinful, he didn't think he needs the gospel then, and so he lives his life in unbelief as a judge over other people. Basically, like I said, ignoring the gospel. So until a person humbles themselves, that person is going to continue to live in a self-righteous, unrighteous way, and continually try to get the splinter out of somebody else's eye while the log is in their own eye. It's a terrible problem. So again, if you really want to see clearly, take the log out of your own eye first, meaning humble yourself. That's where it has to start. Acknowledge that there's probably something due to sin that you don't see that needs to come out. And that's why we say, Lord, show me my sin. You confess the unrighteousness to him. Confess your condemned and condemning spirit towards others, and ask God to cleanse you. Lord, come into my heart first. When you're about to have a conversation with somebody or over something that's troubling you, or when you're happening on a Saturday afternoon just to go about and doing your business like I was, and you begin to recognize these faults, you say, Lord, forgive me for doing something that is not my job, because I don't know what's going on in those people's lives. 
and help me to not be judge over them. King David said it the same way of himself in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart. I want you to see the progression of this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Doesn't this sound like the tax collector? And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Now watch this, verse 13. Then, then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. In other words, David, the king of Israel saying, Lord, fix my heart first and then I'll be able to see spiritually clear. All right, here's a fourth and a, and a final point we'll make this morning. So let's turn the page just a little bit in our minds. If you judge unrighteously, you take away your ability to make righteous judgments. If you judge unrighteously, you take away your ability to make righteous judgments. You say, now wait a minute, Pastor Bruce. I thought I wasn't supposed to make judgments. That's what we've just been going over for the last 30 minutes. Well, no, that's not right because the Lord has been teaching us about unrighteous judgments. He didn't say anything about righteous judgments. Actually, he did. We'll see this in verses 5 and 6. Now he's going to talk to us about just that. Notice verse 6. He says, and a lot of people think this really doesn't fit with the context of verses 1 through 5, but it really becomes the summation example of everything he's just said. Do not give what is holy to dogs... And do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. In other words, before you give the message of the gospel, which is what the pearls symbolize, before you give the message of the gospel to anyone, you have to know who the dogs are and who are the swine. You got to know who these folks are. And just so you know, Dogs in these days were not like the domesticated animals that we have, the ones that cost us a ton of money and take all of our time and our energy as precious as they are, those little blessings. Um, they're not like those animals. In those days, they were the scavengers. They were the ones that nobody wanted around. They were the vicious, mean, mange-filled, you know, scum of the earth as far as animals went. The swine, you know, if you study the Bible at all, you know from the Old Testament that they were the animals that were condemned by God from the sacrifices. They were not allowed to be used. They were the ones that were considered the most unclean. And so no Jew would have had them. And so they become a very appropriate illustration for the people to hear both of these animals. And so Jesus uses them to equate the ungodly or the immoral people of the culture the people who cared nothing about God and the message of God or about righteous living, meaning there are times when you and I have to make certain righteous judgments about people. And that becomes very, very clear in other passages of Scripture that I'll share with you in just a second. But just understand that when the Lord says this, He's saying don't waste the precious gospel of salvation on these people because they don't care about it. But you say, well, how do I know that? Well, that's where you have to make some righteous judgments. You have to be discerning. You have to let the Spirit of God help you. And so that's what he says in verse 5. So back up. 
And let's look at that just quickly again. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and here it is, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Implied in all of that is that there are times where we have to make righteous judgments. The Lord is not saying let it go. The inherent issue in this whole section is that there is a time for righteous judgments. There's a time where we need to go with humility and compassion and grace. And these are always the foundations of everything in a believer's life with mercy. But it must be done. It's essential. In fact, Peter said, 1 Peter 4, it's time for judgment to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us first, you see, we start with ourselves and then we can say and do what's necessary. Jesus said in Matthew 7, which we'll see later in verse 15, Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous, ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. In other words, what the Lord is saying is, you're going to have to, at times, make decisions about what's righteous and what's not righteous. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, first you humble yourself and make sure your own heart is right, and then you look into the lives of others and you measure that according to what the Lord has already been teaching. Matthew 18, how about this one? This is one that's often misunderstood. If your brother sins, what do you do? You go and you show him his fault in private. And people, boy, they just beat this one up to death. People will say all the time, you can't judge me, you can't judge me, who are you to judge me? That's not your job. People will say about the church, oh, the church is just judging, 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 judging. Well, unfortunately, a lot of times that's correct. <coughs> Excuse me. We do do that, and that's what we've been talking about in the first part of this. But the Lord says there comes a time where we have to make righteous judgments. And we do it in the appropriate way. But what often happens is most Christians believe that they listen to other people and they say it's always wrong to make judgments. <clears throat> and so they let it go, either backing out completely or not doing anything about it or just letting it go for a time or hoping somebody else will say something about it. But what happens is a progression in this. Now watch how this progression works. If you and I never examine our own hearts to the point where we look at another person's life and see where they're going astray, if it's obvious, and we're not the sin police, we don't go uncover things, but if it becomes obvious and we don't go to people, what happens is the church becomes weak. We become weak, and I'm talking about spiritually weak, and become full of sin because when there's no confrontation over a person's sin, then sin takes over. I mean, this is not rocket science. Every parent knows if they don't adjust little Johnny when he's little, and I'm sorry if you're Johnny here today, if you don't adjust little Johnny when he's little, every parent knows it's just going to get worse, right? It's the same way in the church. And so we are to examine ourselves and do what's necessary or the church becomes very weak. We don't deal with issues like they should be dealt with. And when that happens, then the church just becomes lazy because we get used to that. And we just go our own way with the attitude that, oh, again, God will take care of it or the sin is dismissed maybe as a mistake. They didn't really mean to do that or it's too unloving to judge. It's back to the same kind of thing. And so the church just lets it go. And when the church lets it go, the result is laziness and the church becomes more and more less discerning over sinful matters. 
And the biblical absolutes then are compromised or either dismissed altogether. The moral absolutes are compromised or dismissed altogether. You see how this begins to be a big snowball? And when all that happens, the church then becomes, listen, inclusive of everybody's thought and everybody's belief. And we'll just all get along and we'll have this warm fuzzy on Sunday mornings. And it doesn't matter what you say this is or this is. And the word of God becomes so watered down and in a lot of ways not even used at all. And the church then is a compromiser. Because in the background of the mind is, well, we just want peace. God has called us to peace. Yes, that's true. But peace comes at a price. Peace comes from fighting for what's right. How tragic again is it? Let's just use parents again. How tragic again is it to see a parent not do what's right in the life of the child and correct them? But the idea is, oh no, we can't, you know, we can't judge them. We just got to let them explore their own way. Well, you let them explore their own way, all right, and they'll find sin every time. It's a dark hole, and they'll never get out of it. No, what, is a, what a parent's role is, is to reach into that life of that child and say, no, little Johnny, this is the way to go. Walk this way. You see the point? And the church becomes very, very ineffective. In fact, Jesus said concerning what's about fighting for what's right in Matthew 10, he says, don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. How about that one? That'll cause you to shake your head a little bit about who Jesus is. I didn't come to bring peace, he says, but a sword. What? He's not talking about a physical sword here. He's talking about a spiritual sword. I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. You say, oh, that's terrible. What kind of God is that? Well, the Lord is righteously discerning because he's God and he says, if you're going to be a part of my family, you've got to be this way. And I'll help you to be all of that way, but you've got to be this way. And the world says, I don't want to be a part of that. And so God says, you've got to make a decision. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow me, God says? You're going to follow the things of the world in the way that you want them to be. Jesus says in verse 37 of Matthew 10, look, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. You see the dividing line that Jesus is pushing there? He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. Very, very serious times of judgment need to happen first in our own hearts. Who do we stand for? Who are we a part of? What do we believe? And then we live and help others see the same thing. Listen, the gospel, beloved, brings conflicts in families, doesn't it? It is a conflicting subject, thing, truth from God. But God says, listen, if you're going to belong to me, then you have to put me first. And in this particular subject, there comes times where you have to call out sin. But you don't do that until you've first examined your own heart thoroughly. Thoroughly. And so, yes, God is all about peace. He's all about peace in him first and then peace with others, but there can be no real peace between light and darkness. A church will not survive. A godly home will not survive if there's never a dealing with the conflict between light and dark. 
That's why Jesus says, don't marry somebody who's not a believer because there's going to be this constant battle between light and dark. You don't know whether they're going to come to the place of salvation, so stay away from that. Or it's going to just create more and more problems. Jesus said we're to be salt and light, both of which can be irritating, bright light and salt, but they're necessary to have a place that's godly and righteous, a heart that's godly and righteous. Now again, so you understand, I'm not talking about clubs and spears here. I'm not talking about weapons in the physical sense. I'm talking about loving, gracious, merciful, kind words and a heart telling people they're on their way to hell if they don't repent. That's the message. It's the message of God. It's the message of the church. And we are to point them to Christ. And by pointing them to Christ, we are pointing out unrighteousness. Listen, you've got to give that up. God doesn't want that. Here's what he wants. And so, beloved, you and I are called to evaluate the truth. We're to be studiers of the truth, to evaluate error, to criticize what's wrong and wrong teaching, and to condone the things that are of God and to condemn the things that are not of God. In fact, that's what this whole sermon is about. Again, it's a sermon dedicated to discernment. If you look at all of these illustrations, and we'll see some more in the next weeks, but as you look back from chapter 5 through up to now, it's all about becoming discerning. And to become discerning, you have to be making righteous judgments. Again, all the while bringing people closer to the Lord. And when we see what we see, we go and we do and we speak and whatever is necessary to help them turn to Christ. That's righteous judging. My heart is wrong. I need to be pure, David said. Lord, fix me. Then I'll be able to help point somebody to Jesus. Amen? The good news, beloved, is, and I failed to make this clear, I believe, in the early service, so you get a bonus. Um, The good news is that we have a Lord and Savior who is willing to even see and know the depths of our hearts and still give to us the joy of knowing Him in salvation. Isn't that good news? That is the good news. As we look at our hopelessness and our helplessness, He sees that which is redeemable, and He came to give His life so that you and I, in the midst of our judging, condemning spirits, can confess to Him our wrong and still have a right relationship with Him restored. And praise the Lord for that. So if that's you this morning, and you're feeling how you kind of live this kind of life, the message would simply be, look at your hearts, but understand that God is willing even to restore as you put your hope in Him. But if not, He will judge you in the same way that you judge other people. Okay? All right. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the message of truth. Lord, we don't want to be a people who ignore, dismiss, or whatever it might be as the Uh, the word there, your truth. We want to be people who live your truth. And so may we always be that beggar, that tax collector beating his breast, face down on the ground before you, spiritually speaking, so that we see our continual and total need for you. Lord, may we never be the one who proclaims a self-righteousness. May we never be the one who has all the answers. 
But Lord, may our confidence walk in you because you have the answers. May our confidence not be in us, but may our confidence be in the word of the Lord. Thank you, Father, that you are gracious and that you do turn hearts to you. And we thank you that you've turned our hearts. If there's someone here today that has not understood these truths today and sees themselves undone and without Jesus, I pray that today would be the day. Lord, may they just fully surrender and embrace you for who you are as their God and Savior. And Lord, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would everyone stand, please? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. my heart to fear and grace my fears relieve how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed my chains are
forbear to shine. But God, who called me here below, will be Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for your word, Lord, that your assurance of telling us that if we are yours, we are yours forever, and nothing can change that. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you've shown us through giving us salvation, for taking our sins away. Lord, we just thank you so much for all of the things that you give to us each and every day, the things that you Forgive us of that we try and hide from all of those around us. Lord, forgive us of those those sins. But Lord, we just thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, and most of all your love for us and the love of Jesus that will allow us one day to be in your presence. It's in his name I pray. Amen.